Yeah, I did. I sent you a response back. Well, I missed it, but I got to tell you, that uh, using the logic that he used, there's nothing they can't do to it legally. No. You know? And and he's a constitutional scholar. There you go. There you have it. Boy, yeah. that's a sacred document, isn't it? Yeah. So he's telling you that document gives uh, all these administrative agencies and everything the absolute power that that he's expressing. I didn't look at it like that, but you're absolutely right. I just, I just thought you scumbag. And I thought, so what he's saying there is anything goes for the good of the whole. That's correct. That's straight out of Marxist doctrine, man. Absolutely. Nobody gets it. And, and, and you just wonder, don't you? You just wonder about that man and the president. I mean, boy, he is an enigma, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, like I said last week when he came out and said he's ready to move the military to make sure this vaccine gets widespread distribution uh, and then you got a guy like Dershowitz out there saying yeah yeah you know and the whole thing is Russell is it makes us buy the argument or fall for the narrative because once again this is a virus. It is not a contagious disease. But you see how they love to throw that in there. Because if the people understood the difference between a virus and a disease, then that would be helpful. So in other words, what I'm saying is that by him, uh, by this quote-unquote vaccine, um, we have never had a vaccine for a virus because it's a virus we build antigens against viruses this is why there is essentially no need for a vaccine for a virus even though they have called the flu vaccine a vaccine for decades it is not a flu vaccine you can still get the flu. A vaccine is something that prevents you from ever having the disease again. And we have had vaccines in our lifetimes and certainly in the hundred years that technology has advanced that we've been able to, to, uh, to do that. But they make us buy the argument that this is a, this is a one, a pandemic, number two, uh, an incurable disease, uh, that it's for the good of the whole. We have 
90-some thousand deaths in America, 60,000 of them in New York alone, of which one-third of those, they have already said, were a result of the governor sending those people out of the hospitals into the nursing homes who were not able and equipped to be able to deal with somebody with a virus. So he did that on his own, and he caused thousands of deaths. This guy is a criminal. So, so right there, the death toll would be 60,000 in the United States, just taking that equation of the 30,000, uh, 20, 25,000, 30,000 in New York away, and then again, how many others are being called COVID-19 that really shouldn't be, etc. So we really don't know where the numbers are. And the fact of the matter is, is that this is not something that is a danger and putting everybody at risk by other people not getting a quote-unquote vaccine shot. So when Dershowitz goes out and says that, that's putting more of the fear um, well, it's it's supporting the contention that there is the authority to uh, disseminate a vaccine and to force a vaccine. Um, and even if he cites Supreme Court decisions uh, that seem to be supportive, um, the fact remains that nobody has ever gone out and I mean, I wasn't around in 1913, so I don't know exactly what they did, but um, so I don't mean to talk about something that I don't know, but they may very well have had health experts and so forth that were going around and, and doing everything that that we're seeing that their intentions are today. So, um, but yeah, he's, uh, you know, well, a couple of things that came to my mind. Number one is, is that the message that I got out of it is you and your family are expendable to this country, this government. You have no meaning, especially if you're a peasant. And then the other thing I thought about was I saw this, this guy over in South Korea and they had 12, they had a certain amount, a statue for every month of the year. And they were animals. So they had a snake, a turtle. One of them was a cow. Right. And so he was explaining that you go to the statue of your birth, leave some money, and say your prayers, and it comes to you. That word vaccine comes from the Latin word. Baca, which is a cow. So I just thought, well, I wonder who's praying to the cows now. And that sounds kind of stupid and all that, but they really are putting all their hope in that that word, aren't they? Or I mean, yeah. the, the the useful idiots are the people that know what's going on. Know that it's just a, a ruse. It's just a red herring. Uh, they'll be dispensed of immediately after they're finished with their chore, which is, you know, carrying the water for the cause. 
This is the email that Russell sent me for those that have joined and will hear this later. It's an article from World Net Daily. Harvard Law School Emeritus Professor Alan Dershowitz claimed in an interview that the government has a constitutional right under the Tenth Amendment to forcibly vaccinate a citizen to curb the spread of a contagious disease. <clears throat> Let me put it very clearly. You have no constitutional right to endanger the public and spread the disease, even if you disagree. You have no right to be vaccinated. You have no right to wear a you have no right not to wear a mask. You have no right to open up your business, he said. The interviewer, Jason Goodman, interjected asking if the famed constitutional scholar was saying that if the government decides you have to be vaccinated, we have to be vaccinated. Absolutely, Dershowitz replied, and if you refuse to be vaccinated, the state has the power to literally take you to a doctor's office and plunge a needle into your arm. <clears throat> Where is that in the Constitution, Goodman asked on his web show. Dershowitz clarified that if a person is threatened with a deadly disease that is not contagious, he can refuse treatment. See, now this is the fuzzy little stuff that he, he throws in. If a person is threatened with a, a that if a person is threatened with a deadly disease that is not contagious, he can refuse treatment. Okay, now wait a minute. Isn't a deadly disease, I guess maybe not all deadly diseases are contagious. So in other words, as I said, if this is argued correctly before a court, the correct argument would be, look, we do not have a deadly disease. We have a virus. Viruses we create antigens against. We do not need to force vaccinate because the public is not at risk because we build antigens in our bodies. That would be the number one. Number two is, is that there is no serious and critical uh, reason to do a forced vac vaccination because the risks are no greater than the risks of getting in your car, uh, uh, no risk, no greater than your risk of heart disease, no greater is the risk than uh, diabetes. I mean, the top three diseases that we've discussed before on these fellowship broadcasts. So, um, you know, once again, there's the little caveat, and if it's being argued correctly, we would get a Supreme Court decision, uh, at least one would hope, that would say, no, uh, this clearly does not fall under that because, you know, the overwhelming information does not lead to a causation whereby a state would be within its right to do such a thing. Um, that is, if we still had anybody on a Supreme Court that could, could rule. Um, then he goes on to say, public health, the police power of the Constitution gives the state the power to compel that, Dershowitz said, and there are cases in the United States Supreme Court. Dershowitz added that there are cases after cases after cases in which courts have ruled in favor of reasonable actions to prevent the spread of communicable diseases. <clears throat> Harvard well, professor... That sounds like... That sounds like uh could see that for, for VD, couldn't you? 
Well, you know, what did they do on HIV AIDS? So yeah, while Dershowitz, what? Well, go ahead. I'm, be, I'm beginning to wonder if it was a cooked up fantasy deal like this COVID nineteen. Yeah, I don't, I don't. Well, no, I don't believe it was a fantasy deal. We knew those people were dying, and we knew it was strictly related to the lifestyle. It really only crossed. Uh, talking about the way they marketed the disease. Oh, yeah. You don't have, you know, they said you don't have, it's not just a gay disease. You know, and look at all the money they made off of it. Tons of money. Right. And you know, that brought to mind something that I misstated. I was talking about Exodus 1 was the the dilemma that the Pharaoh had was they couldn't stand the Israelites, but the Israelites made them lots of money, didn't they? Yeah. They were a resource, so there was his problem. So he he couldn't let them go because that means it has to do the work, right? Well, yeah, and they were they were a great great nation off of the backs of those people. And so that's kind of the same situation they're in here in America. Uh, who do you think drives this engine? It's it's not Malibu crowd, the Hollywood crowd. So, so then he goes on to say or the article reads, the Harvard professor who defended President Trump in his Senate impeachment trial was referring to the state police power doctrine derived in part from the Tenth Amendment. Um, The Supreme Court has recognized each state's police power defining police as polity or government rather than law enforcement specifically, which gives the state authority to enact health laws, including quarantine, vaccination requirements, to protect public health. That sentence bothered me a lot because he's he's redefining words. Absolutely. No, and that lawyers are good at that, or or, or lawmakers. Because they always have a special definition when they want to pull one over on you, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, that's Epstein's buddy. Dershowitz? Dershowitz. Yeah. The Lolita Express guy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and everybody, you know, was all full of euphoria that that Dershowitz is really changing his tune when he's coming out, you know, in support of the president and... And it's like it was a no-defense situation. It was easy for him to come out against what was happening. And uh, as much as you might dislike or he disliked or the president or anything else, and so it's another example of people falling for people just because one day they all of a sudden do something that is perceived as being good. Uh Uh-huh. So he goes on then to say that 
uh, a Monday amid a race for a vaccine against the novel coronavirus, the drug maker Moderna received positive results from a phase one clinical trial for its experimental COVID-19 vaccine, sparking a 900-point rise in the Dow. Um, you know, these drug makers, in the legislation for these drugs, they always build in an immunity from prosecution. Uh-huh. And so if something happens or some adverse health thing or otherwise, there's, there's no compensation. There's no right to sue. Uh, yes, I know some cases have gone uh, and in spite of those laws and they have class action suits and so forth. They're very lengthy. They're very prolonged and uh, nobody in the end winds up getting any money but all the attorneys evolved uh, as a general rule. Uh, maybe the guy who brought the initial case on gets something, but all the rest of the people that are always encouraged to join him uh, basically get uh, either nothing to a pittance. So well, They only take uh, one at a time, and that's the Vaccine Compensation Fund. They paid out over $4 billion so far. But the government yeah, very, the drug companies. Yeah, very tedious to to litigate, very costly. Well, keep reading because they they have a clause in it about killing people accidentally. Right to liberty. Uh, this part of the article is the argument against forcible vaccination is based on the Fourteenth Amendment provision that no state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. When you talk about all these people that have been affected from these various drug maker, are they not deprived of life? Are they not deprived of liberty? Are they not deprived of property? You take somebody who's got develop dementia from taking a sleeping aid. You take somebody that's developed uh, autism for having been vaccinated and something that was a carrier in the vaccine is known to be a, a carcinogen that is affecting people with autism. They, they, they literally have nothing to really go back on. Anyhow, Dershowitz points to the Supreme Court's Jacobson v. Massachusetts decision in 1905, which concluded a state may require vaccination if the Board of Health deems it necessary for public health or safety. Well, that's about as broad as you can get. The court found the police power of a state included reasonable regulations established by the legislator to protect public health and safety. This is what I kept saying to everybody. This is what I was expressing last week to my trucker friend. When we have legislators who sign these laws into place in the middle of a crisis and everybody thinks this is a great idea, this is definitely needed, blah, 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 then, you know, it's not even known that it's done. 9-11, these emergency health power acts that went out to all the states, several of the states adopted them. Once that law is there, it's a question of whether or not a Supreme Court is going to uphold the right of a governor uh, under the power 
in the legislative enactment, and that's what everybody was up against. Uh, I don't know how many states have got Supreme Court challenges right now and how many of them will lose. And then um, in Wisconsin, uh, our court said, no, you do not have the right to extend it. Our legislative process allowed for 30 days with a 30-day extension. And when our governor attended, intended to go beyond the, the 60 days, the Supreme Court said, no, you can't. Now, that just happens to be our state. If it's another state and that Supreme Court says, yeah, you can do it, well, then you'll have seven or ten different states doing it and six or you know whatever not doing it. And now we've got to take it to the federal court and say, hey, is this, is this right? Is this right for one to do it and not for another one to do it because there is intrastate commerce and so therefore people that go from your state in Wisconsin to our state in Michigan, you're bringing potentially uh, you know, deadly disease to our state. And so then you've got another court decision that's going to say, yeah, we're going to need to narrow this down. We can't just give the states full authority to do whatever they want. We're going to have to put some limits and some restrictions, blah, 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 blah. And so that would be the next thing. If any individual is allowed to act without regard to the welfare of others, true liberty does not exist, the court argued. More than a century later, the Jacobson decision has not been revisited in any meaningful way, uh, noted the AMA Journal of Ethics in 2006. It has stood all this time not allowing a single individual to refuse vaccination while he or she remains within the general population on the grounds that to make such an exception would strip the legislative branch of its function to care for the public health and safety when threatened by epidemic disease, wrote Sarah Fujiwara, MD, then a student at DePaul University College of Law and interim at the American Medical Association. This ruling prevails despite the occasional injurious results from vaccinations and the impossibility of determining whether a particular person can be safely vaccinated, she wrote. So it doesn't matter whether there's occasional injury. It doesn't matter if there's an impossibility of determining whether a person can be safely vaccinated. Now, get this, more of the same circle talk. The only exception to a mandatory vaccination is an offer of apparent or reasonable certain proof to the State Board of Health that the vaccination would seriously impair health or probably cause death. So right here, that's an exception, but they already say the ruling prevails despite occasional injurious results uh, from vaccinations and the impossibility of determining whether a particular person can be safely vaccinated. So if you were to go in there and argue and say, it can't be determined whether I can be safely vaccinated and therefore I choose not to, no, tough. You're going to get vaccinated. And that's, that's it. And we got the president out there saying he's ready to mobilize the, the army. So yeah. I'm not happy. Nobody should be happy. Not, and, the, and you have this Chairman Mao. Isn't it, isn't it interesting how... The Chinese had Chairman Mao, and we got Chairman Powell. 
head of the Federal Reserve, and he contradicts everything that ever. That idiot in New York came on the TV Saturday and said, well, I can tell you this, the people that stayed sheltered in home are the ones getting the disease here, not the uh, the special people. What do they call them? The uh, essential. Essential. They're not getting it. It's the people that sheltered in home. Then you have this Federal Reserve word master I'm talking about a word master, magician with words. He comes on and says, if we just keep the shelter in place thing going, these things will all come down, but in in an effort to hurry back, it's going to cause it all to come back. And school systems now are planning on a return and making revolving school years because of viruses. So there's nothing that this thesis won't give you. Nothing. Nothing you can't synthesize out of this thesis. And they're always and they're always right. Yeah. The new normal they're talking about is you don't you, you can't deny this. The new normal is collectivism. It's 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 that dirty little word called communism, communalism. It's, it's uh, slavery is what it is. That's the best term I can think of. Uh, what was the oligarchy? Is that where just a few people rule the whole planet? You think Gates isn't on that committee? And... Mr. Berkshire and Soros and all these people, you think they're not on a committee of 30 people or 100 people or 10 people that's decided what's best? You know, every one of these people always starts out where there's too many people on the earth. Have you ever noticed? Yeah. But they never submit their wife or kids up for for a sacrifice, do they? No, no, that's that's the thing is that, you know, what makes you so important? Why don't you go ahead and, you know, lay down uh, on the uh, on the altar and we'll go ahead and uh, put an end to your life. Yeah. Yeah. And this whole heroification of all these people. We're told over and over we've got to bow down to them, take them some cookies and milk because they're out there fighting the fight. You know, you're sitting at home doing nothing. What it tells me is the people that ordered them out to fight the fight don't care about their life if it's as bad as they say it is. No. They're the first ones to go if it's true. But if it's not true, then it makes more sense. We got we got more people we got to to bow down to now and and so we're gonna have to work harder to keep their pensions higher now, aren't we? Because yep. they're above the the common man. They went out there and fought the good fight. So we're just dumbass workers. That's all we are. Think about it. 
Yeah, and we're never allowed our faith to, uh, you know, where our God promised us that pestilence and disease would not cling to us, uh, Exodus 15:26, and that we would have victorious warfare, Genesis 14:15, and Joshua 10:11, 1 Samuel 7 and 11, and others. Um, we're we're never uh, allowed anything uh, on that regard because that's all just myth and. Um, they're the smartest people on the planet, and uh, we're destroying the planet, and we've got to get control of it so that we have. Uh, and you know, yeah, I think it just pretty much goes right back to what I was kind of sharing last week about our, you know, God's confederation with the twelve uh, tribes of Israel, with Jacob Israel too to bring about order within within the creation, if you will. And this week I kind of was having some thoughts again, too, about some other things. And one of the things I was kind of keying in on was um, guilty association. And um, some might call it guilt by association, but I think it's probably more appropriately called guilty association. Um, Webster's 1828 uh, says that in looking at the word association, it says the act of associating, union, connection of persons. Uh, definition two, union of persons, often applied to a union of states or a confederacy. Uh, definition six in the ecclesiastical pastors churches united for promoting interest and harmony of the church uh, that really should be the body of Christ rather than the church but his definition was in 1828 and most of them did not believe that a church was uh, 40,000 denominations um, so let's flip over to Matthew 7 and uh, use this as our message text, I guess, and go from there along the lines of our association, what it means to have uh, guilty association or guilt by association. Um, and this isn't an exhaustive study, and we can always come up with things where we would say, well, I don't know that we could do this or say that this falls under that category. I just generally thought it was a good idea to kind of review it based on what some of the things that I think we're going to be bringing up in the month of June in fellowships that I've been uh, sharing with some of you men. So in Matthew 7... Verse 15 to 23, Beware of the false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree brings forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree brings forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that brings not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. 
wherefore by their fruits you shall know them. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And I will profess to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. And some translations use you that practice lawlessness. Or a the actual word there is uh, anomian, uh, which is anti anti-law and that's what that means so um, I think about how often we're associated with guilty associations and certainly how we have guilty associations with our association with this thing that was created in America called a constitution um, it's the duty of a Christian to separate from error, certainly in obedience to the command of Yahweh, the God of Jacob Israel. So if that is the case, then disobedience to the command is error, and it's going to bring destruction. He's, it's clear. And association with error without reproof or correction is going to bring destruction. And he's telling us here that he wants us to examine the fruit. First uh, John 4, 1, he requires us not to believe every spirit, but test the spirit as to be from God, because many false prophets have gone into the world. So, you know, you can have people who profess a doctrine, and if that doctrine is not of Christ, it is not of the will, the intention, and the command of the Father, then it's then it's a false it's a false doctrine and it's it should be evident from from the fruit. Second Corinthians six fourteen, the apostle Paul instructs us not to be yoked with unbelievers. For what does righteousness and wickedness have in common, or what fellowship has light with darkness? Now, some often want to refer that to to marriage only, but if it has a uh, a context within the epistle of marriage, does it mean that it's not otherwise applicable? And the answer, of course, is certainly. It could be very applicable just because it's used in a context of marriage. First uh, Corinthians 5.11, not to keep company with any that are called a brother who is a fornicator covetous, idolater, reviler, slander, drunkard, extortioner, or swindler. And so I think of men who I've seen in the past who, you know, who are supposed Christians, and they revile, they slander people by name, uh, calling them names, uh, and so forth. Um, and I've always been kind of struck by that. Now, some might say, well, gee, Doug, you're not very bright. You know, Christ excoriated the scribes and Pharisees. Yeah, he did. And we'll get to some of those because I think there's a difference in how and why uh, you would do that. Uh, 
when you look at these scriptures that I just gave, 1 John 4, 1, 2 Corinthians 6, 14, and 1 Corinthians 5, 11, and a host of other scripts, they're, scriptures, they're inciting us to the necessary acknowledgement that it's a source of shame uh, for us to know of the command and the will of the Father and willingly ignore it and set it aside for the sake of expediency or self-gratification or indifferent to the event. If you think about it, what we've been talking about in the past weeks here, Adam was indifferent to the command because Eve ate or Eve partook and she didn't die because the scripture says that she did eat and then gave it to her husband and he did eat. So Eve was indifferent to the command because she was beguiled or falsely directed and so he became guilty by the association with Eve for, yes, he also did likewise partake, but when he tried to obfuscate blame and said, the woman that thou gave me, she gave me and I did eat, well, right there, he was condemned out of his own mouth because he associated with the one that did evil. Am I making sense? Absolutely, yeah. And so, he should have what? Should have kept his mouth shut. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Um, And before it came time to speaking to God, he should have kept his mouth shut too. Uh, Well, actually, no. You know, we're both wrong in saying that, and that's part of what I'm going to get to here is that no. It required him to speak up. He, you know, when, when we know the will and the command, and that's what I just got through reading us, is that when we know the will and the command and what it is, and we willfully ignore it or set it aside, we, we, have, we have guilt. Uh, 2 Corinthians 6.17, Paul teaches us to come out from among them and be separate. So it was Adam's responsibility to come out from among and separate himself and not to touch the unclean thing. And anything that one does contrary to the command and the will is unclean and unrighteous in nature. When we touch the unclean, we associate or are connected with it. When we associate with what is contrary to the command or the will, we touch. And so I don't find there anything in the story of Genesis chapter 3. It seems very clear to me what's being conveyed. Um, if, if, if we are to disobey the command, in fact, you hear people really ignoring the fact that what happened here was the disobedience of the command. It's like we were talking about in weeks past, you know, what was it that Daniel did? What was it Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego did? What was it that Gideon did? You know, it was the decree that went out that said, you do this and thus, and they said, no. Even if our God won't protect us, we're not going to do because we know what his will and his command is. And so in America, we're at one of these precipices as well 
as to whether or not Americans are going to say, we know his will. Our will is to be obedient to his will and his command, and he will not bring any of these diseases upon us. And this is just totally foreign to the scholars, as it was in the days of Christ, and and obviously for millenniums before that. If one instigates, such as the adversary in the garden instigating Eve, and then one participates, such as she did, and then another one consents or gives approval, then you've completed the sin by association or the guilt by association. Eve being beguiled instigated Adam by disobeying the command herself. And then Adam consented, and then he likewise disobeyed. His natural defense was to plead innocence when he came before Yahweh, of course, by reason of his disassociation with Eve. But it didn't work. He knew, uh, God knows that acceptance and acquiescence to the disobedience is just as contemptible as being the first to disobey. Um, Paul tells the Israelite Romans, and that's another thing that I think we ought to start doing, everybody, is instead of, instead of, you know, this term Gentiles or whatever that's been thrown in so much in the New Testament, uh, since from our studies we have concluded that every one of the epistles were written to and about Israelites, I think, you know, when I wrote this, I said, Israelite Romans, because that's what they were. So he tells the Israelite Romans, there may have been other Romans there who weren't Israelites, but the Israelites were indeed Romans. That's a historical fact. Anyhow, he tells those Israelite Romans at 132, he says, quote, knowing the judgment of God, they that commit such things, which is disobedience to the commands, are worthy of death. Not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. He told the Israelite Ephesians the same thing at 5, 1 to 13. Probably should go there. I didn't write that verse down in my notes, but it's lengthy, but we've got time, I think. Ephesians 5, be you therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and uncleanness or covetous, let it be once, let it not be once named among you as become insane. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know that no whoremonger nor unclean person, covetous man who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things comes the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be you not therefore partakers with them. For you were sometimes darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. 
For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light, for whatsoever does make manifest is light. But instead of doing this stuff over the years, the church world has, has, has approved the things done in darkness, like a Federal Reserve Act in the middle of, you know, last week of December, uh, you know, late night, and turned the other way while the evil was going on and did not reprove it. So we have what we have because we didn't speak up and we didn't do what we were required to do. He asked, uh, Paul asked the uh, Israelite Corinthians, he says, uh, don't those who eat the sacrifice participate at the altar? Now that's, that's pretty, pretty simplistic. You know, if you're going to eat food sacrificed to idols, it's the same as you being at the altar to sacrifice it. That's why he said, if you know, don't eat for conscience sake. If you don't know, it's nothing to you, and it should be nothing to you. The Apostle John at 2 John 7 and 11, let's do that one too, Second John. Uh, for many deceivers are enter into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Whosoever transgresses and abides not in the doctrine of Christ has not God. He that abides in the doctrine of Christ, he's both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. For he that bids him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. You know, I, I use that scripture in the message I did uh, titled, uh, Warning, Beware That You Die Not in Your Sins. You know, the whole world, I was just speaking to a lady the other day, she's been to Bible college herself, and she's probably five years older than, than me, and uh, uh, she was lamenting that a pastor was saying that he didn't see anywhere in the Bible where America was mentioned as being, you know, a great nation or people or anything, and so it's just constantly discounted. Now, she she was at least having the, the cognizance and the awareness of mind to say, I, I, don't, I don't know why God hasn't, hasn't put us in, you know, or did not refer to it. And so I asked her if she had a Bible, and she did. And I said, well, let me show you something. And so I took her to 2 Samuel 7.10. I said, this is a promise of a future promised land. Now, this, they were already in Old Palestine at this time, so this is not that promised land. And I said, Old Palestine does not have an eastern sea and a western sea. And I said, what continent, what people, what, you know, what nation anywhere do you know that has an eastern sea and a western sea? 
And she said, it's got to be the United States. And I said, so the pastor who said, he just doesn't know and he doesn't understand. And so then I started sharing the Israelite identity again with her. And I've done it in some respects in the past. And, uh, you know, um, just trying to shed some light and open her eyes to, you know, that it, it is there, but just because the, you know, the church uh, uh, elders and so forth are blind to this or ignore it or don't even, I guess, study enough themselves. Um, I mean, it is, I think that we've done a lot of things in a, several years here to open up the door to understanding, especially the series that we did on Israel, Judah, and Jew, I think we clearly, you know, articulated from the New Testament scriptures that in every case in those epistles, we are dealing with Israelites. Um, so once again, how can we how can we call ourselves a Judeo-Christian and associate ourselves with someone who is an antichrist, someone who does not believe? that Christ has come in the flesh. And even those that profess now that they, they say that, that they do know that Christ was the Messiah, but they continue in their Jewry and they continue to use their doctrine and their rabbis as teachers, that's a false association once again. It's, it is fellowshipping darkness with light. Um, I think that this principle is well established and it's not something to be considered lightly. You know, I didn't write that scripture down, but I think that's in Kings. Um, anybody know where the story of Naaman is right offhand? I think it's, I just don't remember if it's 1 Kings or 2 Kings. My gut is saying maybe 1 Kings. Um, I think it's in Second Kings. Second Kings. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll look. Second Kings fifteen or something like that. Second Kings five. Second Kings five. All right, so we're at Second Kings five, and. Let's just read about this principle. Um, when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent your clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth, and went away, and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me. Stand and call on the name of the Lord his God. Strike his hand over the place, and recover the leper. Are not um, Abana and Farpar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May, uh, may I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. 
Well, his servants came to him and spoke to him and said, hey, my father, if the prophet had bid thee to do some great thing, would you have not done it? <laughs> How much rather than when he said, go wash and be clean? And so then he went down, so he was humble, dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh came again unto him like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. So, okay, but now, this is the important part here. He turned to the man of God and said, he and all his company, and came and stood before him and said, Behold now, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Now, therefore, I pray, take a blessing of thy servant. But he said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it. Now, this is something that I just find so profound. Elisha is standing there saying, I will not take a gift from you. How many people do we know behind the pulpits today that take gifts all day long? In fact, if the website does not say offer a gift or have a donate button or this, that, or whatever else, and that's always bothered me, you know, but maybe it's not a fitting example. But anyhow, he says he won't take it. Naaman said, Shall there not then, I pray thee, be given to thy servant two mules burden of earth? For thy servant will henceforth offer neither burnt offering nor sacrifice unto other gods but unto the Lord. All right, what's happening there? In 17, Naaman is basically saying, I am not henceforth ever going to offer burnt offerings or sacrifice unto other gods. Then, 18, in this thing the Lord pardon thy servant that when my master goes into the house of Ramon to worship there, and he leans on my hand, and I bow myself in the house of Ramon, when I bow down myself in the house of Ramon, the Lord pardon thy servant in this thing. And Elisha says unto him, Go in peace. So he departed from him a little way. So this is an example of association that Naaman could not separate, at least not at this time. Now, we don't have anything in the biblical record to say whether Naaman actually did separate and make a separation from this king that was bowing down before Ramon. So once we know something, we have a duty not to do. But Elisha was willing, and Naaman at least recognized that he was going to be walking in with an association with the king into the house of Ramon and asked God to forgive him of that act, that it was not an act that he was doing with the intention to sacrifice to that God. And Elisha took him at his word. Um, so, hey, I just felt that was pretty interesting, uh, thinking back at what he did there, and he, you know, looks for a pardon for that. So even though he had an association with someone that we would say, well, that's that was a that was a, a darkness with light. Uh, we don't know if he changed that association or did something about that association in the future or anything else. But he at least committed himself to God and not um, to Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So certainly uh, 
Elisha held him at his word. And why not? Because if he does adversely against the oath which he made, the punishment's on him anyway. So whether, you know, when we call ourselves Israelite sons of Christ, be it in America, Europe, South Africa, Australia, other lands, you know, and we stand mute while men and women in leadership extend the right hand of fellowship to Antichrist leaders with Antichrist lawlessness and disobedience uh, to his commands and has not asked of God the same absolvency of association seeking to do righteously, um, it would seem to me pretty clear that we better do so immediately. You know what I mean? As far as our leaders? And so if we're not separating ourselves from the lawless order of the world's disobedience to the command and the will, which is in fact a cornerstone principle of the gospel of Christ, we're assisting false doctrines of false teachers. And we're extending approval and acceptance. So we can't love God with all our heart and accept the works of darkness and the works of evil, you know. So I was looking at at these guilty associations and thinking, we've got a lot of guilty associations. And I like it when Trump, when a leader in America says, I'm going to withdraw or withhold money, or whatever, until there is righteousness here before I continue this league or this confederacy or this association. So to say that he's going to withdraw money from the World Health Organization until they stop pandering to China and doing China's will on everything, which obviously is a uh, another reason that we're supposed to separate ourselves from those associations with with China if we're going to lament that they steal our technology and then they make well, products. I, Go ahead. I'm glad you brought that up, Doug, because think about this. We not only trade with China, they are our most favored trader. Right. That should be stopped to yesterday. Yeah, I agree. That wording, that wording, if nothing else. You know, when you think about it, when you think about it, when this virus was learned and determined to have come from there, the president should have immediately took the document that he signed as a trade agreement and tore it up and made an announcement to American corporations in China and said, come home. I am opening the door for you to build and create in America. But that's not what's happening and we've got these guilty we've got these guilty associations that just keep on and and why? Because these people who have these associations they are not after the will of Christ. They are not after the will of God. They are disobedient to it. Or we wouldn't be engaging in nations who do not desire 
um, to enjoin friendly relations. Not not only that, our demise is imminent. I mean, exactly. That is uh, like hooking up with a hooker. You're gonna when you sleep with a dog, you're gonna get fleas. It's hastening your destruction. And well, yeah, and and think about this: when when we fail to do so, we aggravate or impede the work of the Lord in those nations. And certainly, we aggravate and impede it right in our own nation because we are what? Associating with the evil. We are associating and have guilty associations with those who do not deal with us honestly and forthrightly. I was thinking, uh, I made a note here, Exodus 34:12. I don't remember the context for that, so I'm going to flip it open real quick. Um, yeah, take heed to thyself, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, whether whither thou go. Test it, lest it rather, lest it be a snare for you in the midst of thee. You shall destroy their altars, break their images, and cut down their groves. So one would say, okay, how do we destroy their altars? How do we break their images? And how do we cut down their groves? We destroy their altars because we refuse to do trade with them. What are they going to do with those altars that are impeding our association? They're going to break them down. They're going to break their images. And they're going to cut down their groves, their high places, their whatever, because we are trying to follow the will and the command of the Creator to carry out His design and objectives in the creation. So, but there's a reason for that, you know. If you're not going to, you know, if you're not going to do it, so then you, you know, you're mixing the associations or you're having... You know, association in and of itself is really not the sin, but disobedience to the command or the will brought about by the association is most generally, um, you know, the the irreversible consequence. Um, and it's inevitable because if you're going to, uh, you know, continue in that association, you're as Genesis or Exodus 34:12 says you're it's going to be a snare unto you he uh he requires us to apply his lawful standard of his legislative intent in his kingdom and his creation rooting out the roots of wickedness lest we sow seeds of confusion by acquiescence to the doctrine or even blatant willful disregard of his command or will we're not to have any covenant or league or you know even a daughter Deuteronomy 7 1 to 3 you know a lot of people you know just can't receive this and so you know what are they then he told them 
for a reason. When the Lord thy God shall bring you into the land where you go to possess, and has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites, Girgashites, Amorites, Canaanites, the Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than you, and when the Lord God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughter shall not give unto his son, nor his daughter shall you take unto your son. You know, Jeremiah and I were the other day, we sat down. I don't know where I did with my notes on that, Jeremiah, but we went over just really rather quickly. Um, uh, huh. you remember where I where I wrote that, Jeremiah? Probably not. Um, we were just going over. Now I've lost my train of thought. You gonna help me, Jeremiah, or are you not remembering either? I don't know uh, where you wrote it. Yeah, well, what were we talking about? I just lost my train of thought. It's okay. It'll get back on the track. You remember, Jeremiah? We're talking um, about all the all the examples of what the heck was that about? Huh. Uh, I think it was. Second Samuel. Is that what you're talking about? I don't remember. What, what was it in Second Samuel? Uh, let me see. Well, I don't see. I don't see what I was even scribbling on that afternoon but anyhow well if you think about it oh, um, I kind of remember a little bit we were talking about uh, if God can uh, it was in Samuel second Samuel is where David um, numbered the people Oh, yeah. And then what were the other examples that we came up um, with? Well, we found some stuff in uh, Corinthians, but I don't remember where. Well, I'll skip that. I, it, I, it kind right. of segued into it, I thought. But um, anyhow, you know, so anyhow, when we're talking about any of these people that are in positions of authority and stuff like that and teachers, Especially, you know, this is another thing that um, we've got these uh, associations with those who slander and defame the character, name-calling. And these are obvious character flaws. Um, so when you find others out there doing messages and, and condemning others and, and calling them names and speaking evil of them without them even knowing them or anything else this is not this is not on the same par as what we see from Christ 
these are, as I say, these are, um, you know, indications of, you know, character flaws because someone refusing to debate somebody for the insidiousness of their false doctrine, um, you know, by doing so, they would lend credibility to the one that's, you know, teaching the false doctrine. And no matter what you do, it's just like these people here that we've got around us in America right now, all the health experts. You see, the health experts are never wrong. They are the ones who know, they are the ones who are trained, and so therefore you're supposed to just sit down, shut up, and do as they say. Even though you, with your own mental capacity, can look at the same information they have, the same information, just like we started out with Dershowitz and so forth, when you sit here and you look at it and you say they can force a vaccine for a disease, this is not a disease, it's a virus. It's a virus that our bodies build antigens to. So for us to fall for the narrative that says, oh, yeah, the state can do this. Here I am. Here's my arm. That's a bunch of crap. You know, we're to, to, we are to discern. And this is another one of those things. He, our Redeemer instructed us not to cast our pearls before swine. So certainly... If somebody is teaching incorrectly and they will not hear of the truth, that person is equivalent in Christ's words to casting your pearl before swine because they won't hear the matter. And this is what these guys always do. They won't hear of anything, the climate scientists and all the rest of it. And so we're to discern these actions and these fruits and the pattern of them. And whenever this notion ever was adopted where we would you know, basically treat distinct actions of individuals as just isolated or separate events totally unrelated to one another. And that's what happens is that everything is totally disjointed from one another. We don't very seldom, I think many of us, obviously do look at the totality. But many of the people out there, these are just separate incidents and so forth. And they never look at the totality of these actions. You know, whether it's the totality of all the actions of the users and, and the money system and everything else. And, you know, so anytime that we're talking about those in positions of authority and those who teach especially, that's where we've got to be, you know, fully on our guard. Christ extended a hand of fellowship to a Pharisee named Nicodemus at John chapter 3, even saying to him, Aren't you a master of Israel and you don't know these things? So some Pharisees would not hear of a matter. One Pharisee, Nicodemus, came to Christ at the night and said, Hey, you know, I know that you've got to be a man of God because only a man of God could do the things that you're doing. So Christ didn't say, Well, here, he, he gave him a hard say and said, Well, you can't enter the kingdom of God unless you be born again. Then he told him, even after he did not understand how he could be born again, even though the church today uses the born again all the time, and Christ said to him, don't marvel that I said you must be born again. He's trying to get Nicodemus to understand that you got to put away the old doctrine that is the false doctrine that has permeated your cranium, and you've got to become as a new child again 
to be able to receive the truth that you seemingly don't understand even though you're a master of Israel. See, Nicodemus expressed a genuine interest in Christ's character and works. And so in the spirit of truth, Christ taught Nicodemus differently than he did other scribes and Pharisees. And so you can understand why when somebody, it's, it's one thing to be confident in your position <clears throat> and so forth, <clears throat> but if your position is wrong, all the confidence in the world doesn't make a difference if your position is wrong, but as long as you're going to continue to proof text everything that you can and taking every scripture that you want to take and use it as a proof text to support your doctrine, there's nothing that can be done with you. You're as a Pharisee. And so Christ did use names. He did label them with names fitting their character. But you should know that when you see others do this without the same brotherly love that Christ extended Nicodemus, then you know these are false prophets. So anyhow, I just wanted to share some thoughts with you about guilty associations and that's basically I've got a number of scriptures that I jotted down as well that I think are relative to it and you know as I say this wasn't exhaustive in nature there's some that would say well gee this would be a, an association how do I handle this when I work with a bunch of unbelievers and in fact Esther has lamented that many times is that he's amongst those who are Christians, but yet the doctrine that they profess is a doctrine that is not in keeping with the will and the command. And so the best thing he can do is to express to those young men, look, this is the will and the command. You cannot love the Father if you do not be obedient to the will and the command. If you say that it doesn't matter that you're washed and that you can't, you know, ever have sin and you can't ever have it taken away from you, then you're deceiving yourself. You are deceived and you're going to, and God is going to turn you over to your own delusions. Does it any, any of it making any sense? Yeah. I got to, I got to share a thought with you. Sure. You talk a lot about Daniel and we'll just call them the three guys. I never get their names right. But it occurred to me that, you know, Rahm Emanuel is famous for saying never let a crisis go wasted. Heard that, right? Yep. That's his famous quote. Well, guess what? That works both ways. And, and and with the guys getting thrown into lines, then I would say that's a crisis, wouldn't you? Exactly. And so what did they do? They didn't let that crisis go to waste, did they? No, and exactly. Through their, through their obedience, 
it changed nations, didn't it? Exactly. And and this fellow told me today about he was talking about a Roman emperor, and I want to read this to you. His name was uh, Marcus Aurelius. Aurelius. Aurelian. Aurelius. Yeah. yeah. Marcus Aurelius. And, and he was telling me how great quotes he had, and then I started reading about him. And here, this will just take a second. In the first two centuries of the Christian era, it was local Roman officials who were largely responsible for the persecution of Christians. In the second century, the emperors treated Christianity as a local problem to be dealt with by their subordinates. Number and severity of persecutions of Christians in various locations of the empire seemingly increased during the reign of Marcus. The extent to which Marcus himself directed, encouraged, or was aware of these persecutions is unclear and much debated by historians. The early Christian apologist Justin Martyr includes with his first apology written between 140 and 150 A.D. a letter from Marcus Aurelius to the Roman Senate prior to his reign, describing a battlefield incident in which Marcus believed Christian prayer had saved his army from thirst when water poured from heaven, after which immediately he... He says, we recognize the presence of God. Marcus goes on to request the Senate desist from earlier courses of Christian persecution by Rome. See, I'd never heard that before. But those Christian prayers, God heard them, and this could have saved a lot of Christians' lives, couldn't it? Yeah, and each of those incidents with Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is is even Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, you know, not so good, King. Even if our God will not save us, we will not adhere to or obey the unlawful decree. And this is this is a pivotal moment in American history here as to whether or not the people of this nation are going to say, not so. And the question really is not only saying, not so, we will not obey the unlawful decree, they've got to have some heart. You know, their heart's going to have to be right in order to expect that there will be, you know, heavenly intervention in the event that God sees the persecutions of his people. Yeah, you've got to be willing to to go through with it, don't you? Would right. You one of my one of my favorite passages is in Psalms ninety four sixteen. It says, "Who will rise up for me against the evildoers, or who will stand up for me against the workers of iniquity?" See, that's he he is expecting us to stand up against the workers of iniquity. And just by not engaging the guilty associations, we actually stand up for him and those practicing the guilty 
and iniquitous behaviors suddenly have to change their behaviors or they're going to be left out in the cold. They're not going to have the benefit of being able to um, have fellowship with the saints. John chapter 7, verse 24, I had as a... We already did 1 John 4, 1 in the text of what I shared with you. Um, 7, 24. Yeah, this is the, this is the one here. Um, once again, when you reprove and so forth, the Christian mantra has been, judge not. And yet, John 7.24 says, judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. This is the Christian duty. So, if we've got guilty associations, we're not righteously judging. And that's what's so frustrating to me as a Christian is I see the church world just, it's, it's like closing their doors when they should have been opening their doors and calling upon the God of heaven to not have this plague come anywhere near the United States. Galatians uh, 2, 11 through 14 But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face, because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. So Paul could see what was happening by Peter's actions, he was giving credibility to those of the circumcision. And Paul was going to have nothing of it. And he called Peter out on it because he saw that Barnabas also was being carried away with it. And so I see people that are being carried away with this false doctrine stuff, various ways. Shoot, our church, you know, our Christian body, our body of Christ has been so carried away with every wind of doctrine over the years. It's a wonder there's a body of Christ even left. And frankly, most of them have left the organized church and they're our body of remnant 
uh, uh, the body of Christ as a remnant. And so, what is it that what is it that motivates people to snap on or, or makes them attracted to these these other uh, theories? Well, you know, Russell, I think you said it the other day to me. They're looking for something. Instead of, some, instead of recognizing our problem is us, we're always looking to, blame, to cast the blame somewhere else. Probably the truth. Yeah. And, and I think you're absolutely right. You know, look at, look at, what, Adam, look at what Adam did. It's our natural propensity. His natural propensity was to say, well, that woman that you gave me, she, she gave me this thing, and I ate. Well, and I, I think that's what saved David's life. Because he fell to the ground and said, against you and you only, Lord, have I sinned. Absolutely. You know, recognizing against, <clears throat> you know, who the sin is against. Uh-huh. So... So you're sitting there in your 501c3 church house and the preacher's telling you to submit to authority and you, you just look you, you look at your wife and go, I just can't go along with this. And so you you go get on the internet, right? And you, you start looking for stuff and, and all this uh, patriot stuff always, I mean, it just pops out of nowhere, doesn't it? Patriot stuff, and uh, then all of a sudden, and I don't know how this happens, but this, this, there are some people that are really attracted to these theories that gets them off the hook. And primarily, uh, you've told me about it a lot, and I, I, I knew a lot about it, but. I didn't realize how prevalent that seed line stuff was, but a lot of them are are drawn into that, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, and that was part of the reason for bringing this uh, bit of information here about guilty associations is to try to, you know, put into our minds what it's, you know, what it means to have guilty associations and, and, um, how, um, you know, the false teachers and the false doctrines, so many get sucked into them. And it's, you know, it's, it's always trying to look for something else to be blamed for what it is that their problems are. And when you can do that to a people, you've essentially affected their ability to really come rightly before the throne and say, against you and you only have I sinned. Because they really have not fully grasped the concept of that and they just think it's someone else that has caused it or something else that has caused it. That's a good point. And that's, it's very dangerous. You know, when I was looking at Ezekiel, because I remember of the story about being a watchman, it came to pass, uh, it says, um, uh, 
I think it's in Ezekiel 33. I'm in Ezekiel 3. There's another one there. When I say unto the wicked, thou shalt surely die, and thou gives him warning, gives him not warning. Let me say that again. When I say unto the wicked, thou shalt surely die, and thou gives him not warning. In other words, my word says that if you act wickedly, you will die. If you don't warn the wicked about that, you're as much a part of the guilt. Here's the principle. When thou gives him not warning, nor speaks to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, the same wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But his blood will I require at thine hand. Yet if you warn the wicked, and he turn not from his wicked ways, nor from his wicked way, wickedness or wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you've delivered your soul. Yeah, but is that talking about your brethren? Because I can't be held accountable forever. Tom, Dick, and Harry on the planet. Well, just as an application to us within the manifest, you know, fold of the the Israelites, uh-huh. if somebody was acting wickedly and despicably, and God says, you know, you act this way, I, you're going to die, uh-huh. and then we don't warn that person that, in fact, when you look at the prophets, the prophets did warn. And they yeah. absolved they, absol- they they absolved themselves of a lot of guilty blood, didn't they? Yeah, it's within our herd. <laughs> well, the reason I brought it up is there's a lot of wicked people out there that are being wicked on their own accord. Well, now, right, I'm and gotta, I've got to be concerned with my family first. Yeah. People that I'm close to that are part of my tribe. Right. Yeah. And you you carry out that same principle though within the tribe. If you if you you explain to them what wickedness was, and then you warn them that if you do wickedly and you do wickedness, you're going to die, so you've you've carried out that warning. And now you expand that out, you know, to all of Israel in the same fashion, whether it's a leader or otherwise. It's like my my representative the other day, I said, I called him out on it, and I said, you guys let that uh, governor, and he says, no, we didn't. He said, we took it to court. And I said, what if the court had ruled against you? I said, you had it within your legislative power because you're the legislative branch. Well, of course, he doesn't believe me. And I said, well, I said, you're, you're the one that's going to, you know, bears the guilt. And it was part of what kind of prompted me to put these thoughts out about guilty associations. You know, when the state representative did not do what was necessary to stop this governor from doing things which were wrong, then he acquiesced to it. But in his mind, no, we didn't acquiesce to it. And I said, as a legislator, you have the ability to convene the legislature to enact a new ordinance that says 
this governor is not allowed to act. And I said, did you do that? I said, did you go in behind closed session and say, we will never allow a governor. It is not within a governor's power to extend it further. You know, and he said, no. So I don't know, I may have been splitting hairs on it. But, you know, you try to hold these people accountable to something. And, and they've always got, you know, the same thing is that fear and trepidation and, and everything else. We there's, there's no strength of fortitude to stand on, on righteous principle, you know. If that Supreme Court would have ruled that he's got it within his power to extend it, if he wants to extend it for the state of the emergency, then we'd have had to live with that for the rest of our lives in this state. Because there's now a state Supreme Court precedent. And comes right back to not saying and not speaking out, you know. Yeah. Well, I know it's at the top of the hour again, so... Rich, did you make your travels all the way home? Yep, God is good. Well, good deal. No problems. No problems and brought you home safe. Yep. No Mad Max scenarios, so it was good. Good deal. Yeah, God is wonderful. Well, would you like to close us with some closing prayer? Sure. Heavenly God, we thank and praise you for your love and mercy, your blessings and your protection for our beautiful families that you keep safe and sound. Glorify and praise you, Father. Ask for your forgiveness for our sins. Lord God, we could be deserving all all the things that are happening and even more. We have let you down in so many ways. Lord, don't desert us in the time of these Nebuchadnezzars that are ruling over us. Lord God, take away their power. Give your people wisdom and discernment on how to deal with it. Lord God, prevent any more plagues from entering our country. We know the diabolical enemy will do and use anything they can to steal power, to make us be their servants. Give us your blessings, your protection, your love, and your mercy. Let those that hate you and hate us fall into those holes. Let them that cast a net for us be caught in those nets. Let them fall into the traps that they set for us. Thank and praise you, Holy Father. And we do appreciate your love and mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, that was a good benediction. So, Well, all right, man. I guess that wraps it up for tonight. Well, thank you, Doug. Good to hear from you, people, and good night. Good night, all. Good night.